1: All right, let's get things going on a Tuesday. Welcome to the show. Logan Gordon along with you. Another edition of Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960 The Fan and wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And lots to get to on the show today. We'll uh, have our daily hit with Peter Labardius coming up in just moments. Talk a little bit of uh, NHL news today. In case you missed it yesterday, perhaps the floodgates have opened in the NHL's trade market as the Vancouver Canucks and New York Islanders come together for a massive trade that sees Bo Horvat off to the island Anthony Bavillier Atu Ratu and a first round pick heading to Vancouver perfect timing on a Tuesday to have a regular chat with Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver get a Canucks perspective on this Steven Rosner for uh, Islanders Hockey now he's going to join us to talk about the Islander side of things interesting acquisition for them as a team that's not currently in a playoff race, do they have an extension in the works for Bo Horvat? Wants to get to on the show today. But let's kick things off like we always do. That's heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcoming in our Flames insider. He is Peter Labardius. He's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit the Gemini Group. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? Uh, I am good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, obviously, the Flames are our main topic of conversation here in Calgary, but with them on their all star break a little bit ahead of time, we get some opportunity to dive into some NHL wide stories. And the big one today, Lou, the Bo Horvat saga in Vancouver is finally over. He's been traded. To the New York Islanders for a package that I, I just mentioned there. What was your reaction yesterday to hearing the news?
0: Well, it was mixed. And I'll start by saying this. Now, it's easy from the outside looking in. But I do think that this is a decision by the Vancouver Canucks that they're not necessarily going to regret because. I don't believe in regrets. I believe in going forward. And they made the decision to take care of JT Miller in the summer. And if I had been in those shoes, at least from the outside, I'm not Jim Rutherford. I've never won Stanley Cups. Um, You know, I certainly up until the last few weeks, would have never had very much to say about anything that Jim Rutherford has done because of the respect I have for him. And, you know, remember watching him play in the league and having some conversation with him. This feels a lot to me, Logan. And I know it's not exactly the question you asked, but I think it's an important part of it. This feels a lot to me. Like when the San Jose sharks decided that they had a big choice to make. And that was Joe Pavelski out and Eric Carlson in. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what Eric Carlson is now doing, I don't feel any different. I don't think the San Jose Sharks have been anywhere near the same since they let go of what I would call their heartbeat. And he wasn't the only one. It also coincided at a time with Joe Thornton and um, Patrick Marlowe and kind of that cat, now Brett Burns, who resides and is playing in Carolina. But I think Doug Wilson missed it. And I think he missed it in a big way. And I can't help but think the same about Bo Horvat. So. I always think the hardest decisions are, in any company, who you identify as being your most important people. And I happen to think the Canucks missed it. I really do. Um, and that's just my take. That matters nothing, and I don't know how things are going to go. Now, in terms of the deal and its return. Remember, you are not in a position of strength when making a deal when pretty much the whole hockey world knows that you're in the market of what Jim Rutherford referred to as major surgery. And they have kind of brought this on themselves. So, Beauvillier, good player. Still 25 years old. Lots of things to like. I think they're going to really grow to like him a lot in Vancouver. Um, He's not Alex Burrows, but there are some kind of similarities. Former first-round pick. Good player. You get a first-round pick. Really good. Um, I think they did okay, all things considered. And remember, when you make that kind of a comment... We don't know what Bo Horvat's going to do next. No. So that's really, when you think about it, every time we talk about deals, what do we talk about, Logan? We talk, most teams want a first. They want a good prospect, which I believe that Ratu is. And he also fills a void because he's a center iceman and a young center iceman to go forward with, along with Elias Patterson. And J.T. Miller, maybe. I think he's still better served on the wing, but obviously can do both. And they got a plug-and-play player, too. So I think the return, all things considered, and the situation is pretty good. So that's how I would shape it up. What about you?
1: You you know what? I, I agree with you. I actually think the return is... Is pretty respectable if you're Vancouver. You don't. You also don't I know
0: they don't feel that way.
1: Yeah, I know. But I mean, you're talking about a guy that, like you said, Lou. There's so much that's gone into this. That's it's different than those situations that we've been in before, where you even talk about UFAs that come up at, at certain times around the trade deadline. Vancouver has been dead in the water in playoff positioning for a while now. Like you mentioned, Patrick or Jim Rutherford came out and, you know, pretty much said we put our best offer on the table and it hasn't got it done. Nobody, there was no surprise in any of this. There was no, you know, reading anything between the lines. It was a divorce was coming between these two sides. Who was going to try to get ahead of it and add Bo Horvat to their roster? And I think if you're Vancouver, you have to sit there and say, look, we've got a, a first-round pick, an additional first-round pick right now from a team that's not in a playoff spot and might not be when it's all said and done in one of the deeper drafts that's that we've talked about for a long time. That could be a very positive thing. You know that as well Absolutely. as anybody, Lou, right? If Absolutely. You, what if it's Vancouver's You know, picking 6th and 15th? Well, that's a pretty good spot to be in Oof. in this year's draft.
0: It sure is. You could get Two real impact players.
1: Yeah, and there's no guarantee in all of this, as well, and I'll get to the Islanders in a minute. There's no guarantee that the Islanders make the playoffs because of this move. They're in a very tight race in the East. So, yeah, I think all things considered, when you're talking about the position that the Canucks found themselves in, I, I think they did a pretty decent job, all things considered.
0: Yeah, I do too. And, you know, you have to prioritize, right? Yeah. Because in the cap world, you can't sign everybody to what everybody is worth. And this is almost going to sound like after somewhat taking Jim Rutherford and the Canucks to task, that now I'm backing off a little. And maybe I am. Because part of this equation is, not unlike what we saw in Calgary last year, is Bo Horvat is having the best year of his career. But you know how I feel about these things. I evaluate off the whole body of work. You can't just do it. To me, with a player, you throw out their worst year and their best year. And then you analyze what's in the middle. Especially if they've played in the league for a long enough time. So, it is a hard situation for Vancouver. I just I don't know, maybe it's because I watched Bo Horvat come through the junior system, World Junior, Memorial Cups, and I just think he's an absolute, straight-up, high-character, hell of a player. So from the outside, and I don't know the inside, and that's what makes analyzing everything so difficult i don't have all the information i just happen to think if you walk both those guys in a room and i got to spend two hours with both of them i'm gonna pick one guy over the other to go forward with Mm -hmm. so but those are the choices that are hard and have to be made and you know what i won't discount logan that this might actually speed up the process for Vancouver. Because if you happen to get a six and a 15 and Ratu works out, you might be in better shape than you were. So as as an organization and as a GM and a president of hockey operations, which I know I'm not using Patrick Alveen and he plays a role for sure. He is the GM I just don't know him personally. Never. He wouldn't know me in a police lineup. So, which is a good thing. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to be in any of them. No, no. Okay? But you know what my point is. Yeah, I
1: okay. guess.
0: So, so, you know, he plays a role too. Um, so it's a hard job. And you have to make hard decisions. And the one thing I will always respect Jim for until he's done in the game is so I can't really be upset at Jim if I've always admired him for being the guy that's made hard decisions. He made a hard one. Yeah, He, He picked JT Miller over Bo Horvat. That's what this is really all about for Vancouver fans who are listening to the show. So I'm with them on that, but If they do this right and get a little luck along the way, which you always need, especially when you draft people, because that's not an exact science. Sorry, folks. (laughs) That's the hardest thing in the sport. Yeah. So that's my thought on that trade.
1: One of the things that immediately struck me, uh, Lou, and I'd be curious how how you see it too, is obviously the, the player is hard to... Replace in Vancouver in a, a guy like Bo Horvath, that's not an easy thing to come around, but I also looked at this for Vancouver, and the first thing I thought was, who fills the leadership void in Vancouver now? Because as good of a player as you let go yesterday, you also said goodbye to a guy that's captained to you through some pretty tough times the last oh. little while, and done it with a he whole lot of class and a whole lot of, you know, uh, Respect. I just, I have a ton of respect for what Bo Horvat's done as the captain there.
0: Yeah, me too, and that's why I said if I put both guys in a room and I know one guy's story or feel way more connected to one than the other, you know, based on what I've seen and what I know, for me, it wouldn't be hard. And and that doesn't take anything away from I think JT Miller is a heck of a player and he's a heck of a competitor. I don't see him the same way in terms of leadership. But, you know, in the case of Vancouver, and we haven't even really touched on the islander side of this, which is vitally important too, um, yeah, I think he's going to be really hard to replace. Now, they do have other people in that room. And remember, so here's a perfect example that Calgary Flame fans... I think, can identify with. I always felt, in many ways, during Mark Giordano's time, and even Mark said it as the team's captain, and I don't even know if this guy ever wore a letter, and if he did, it wasn't for any length of time. I always thought one of the absolute true leaders in the Calgary Flames room for a lot of years was Matt Stajan. And I stand by that a hundred percent. Yep. I know it. I can stand by it because I know it. And even the captain would say either personally or in a group that he would go to Matt for advice and consultation, not just because they're great friends, but because of the respect he had and how Matt dealt with situations. So there are other people in that room, including Luke Shen. Yeah. Tyler Myers. They, they still have great people in that room. So it, it will be fascinating to watch. And the Islanders, I know this. When he can get his head wrapped around it, talking about Bo, because it's going to be hard for him. Really hard. This is not what he wanted. I guarantee it. Now he's got to change. And he has to feel like he's a part of a new team. Mm -hmm. But I do know this. Now with Barzell and Horvat up the middle, the New York Islanders are a better team today.
1: They sure are, and, and what a conversation it, it now becomes for the Islanders, Lou, who, as we look at the standings today, don't find themselves in a playoff spot. They are uh, just two points back of the Pittsburgh Penguins for the last wildcard spot, but Pittsburgh holds three games in hand on them. You've also got the Panthers there in the mix with you. You have to climb over Buffalo and uh, Pittsburgh and Washington, two very established teams in the league currently holding on to those wild card spots this is a, a bit of a, a risk for Lou Lamarll I know there's protection around that first round pick that we've talked about, but anytime you go out and make a deal like this Lou you're making you know you're looking for your team to make a push now into the second half of the season. They're far better off with Horvat there now, but it's going to be a challenge for them to get into that last playoff spot.
0: Isn't now Lou Lamorello in protection mode?
1: Yep. For,
0: For even his own gig? Which is hard to imagine when you think about all that he's done, but listen, he got into it in Toronto and he lost. He made a really hard decision when he let Barry Trotz go. And I love Lane Lambert. Know him personally. Grew up watching him as a member of the Saskatoon Blades. Was one of my favorites. And have come to learn that he's as fine a person as I could have ever hoped for. And he's been through a lot. And he deserved a chance. But that was a big decision that Lou made. And now, you know... His, his way of going about business. Logan, I'll tell you this about Lou Lamorello. Again, from the outside, it doesn't look great at times. But I have yet to talk to anybody, whether it was Brent Sutter, Peter DeBoer, you name somebody that my, I might have had a connection or have a connection to in the sport. Dale Durkatch, a longtime scout. Anybody who has ever worked for Lou Lamorello that I have talked to has nothing but great things to say about him. Nothing. Utmost respect. This guy's had a Hall of Fame career. But he has found himself in a tough position in a very difficult division. And I think Lou has also probably come to realms with the fact that how you do things and how you operate in 2023 and how it's looked at and how it's scrutinized and how it's appreciated or not appreciated is not the same as the nineties and two thousands. It's hard out there, boys and girls. It's difficult, but I think he got himself one heck of a player, a leader, somebody that they did not have in a very key spot. And if Lou Lamarello and company can make Bo Horvat feel like a big part of their program, they're going to benefit. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it going to be enough to push them over? It sure could. Yeah. The guys, the guys that they let go, either weren't going to do that or aren't ready to do that. He doesn't have time.
1: Yeah, agreed on that one. Uh, we're with not, L- and
0: not and not with his roster that he has assembled because it's an older, veteran group.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, we're trying to Peter Labardius uh, Flames color voice here on Sportsnet nine sixty the fan of the big news around the NHL right now uh, the Bo Horvat trade. We'll dive more into that uh, as the afternoon continues, but. Uh, funny, Lou, uh, as you mentioned him uh, during our conversation there, today also an anniversary that Flames fans will remember well that involves Matt Stage and who we uh, who talked about briefly there as a leader in the Flames locker room during his time in Calgary. It was 13 years ago today, Lou, that uh, brought Matt Stage to Calgary in that infamous swap with the Toronto Maple Leafs that involved uh, Dion Phaneuf. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news about that deal?
0: Um, I do. I was not at the arena that morning. I remember being at home and then coming to the arena because at that point in time, I was the television voice of the Calgary Flames. Yep. So, you know, those are the kind of moves that hit you like an anvil for all (laughs) kinds of different reasons. And that one different for me, too, because of, you know, obviously I didn't have a relationship with Hagman, but had a relationship with both Matt and Dion, who I saw and talked to a lot, played in two World Juniors, got to know Matt in his time in Belleville. He played in the 2003 World Junior. So I I watched and and was a fan of really both of those guys in a big way, albeit different and different players. So yeah, I remember it. Absolutely. Now exactly where I was at that very second. No, I can't tell you that, but I remember the impact that it had and uh, that was large.
1: Yeah. For, for years to come, that was a massive one. And it's funny how it wound up. You know, there were a lot of extra pieces in that. You mentioned Nick Hagman and Jamal Mayers. Ian White was a flame for a couple of years. But funny how through all of it, it really centered around Dion and Matt for for so many years. As big as that trade was, Lou, I believe, you know, I think there was, well, Schustrom and Ollie on the yeah. Leafs side of things for acquiring. So seven players all in all. But really, it came down to, to the impacts that Matt had in Calgary and Dion had in Toronto.
0: That's true and all I could think about and what I still think about where that trade is concerned is you know what a massive piece of not just the Flames but Calgary and the community that Matt and has become as an incredibly proud guy from the Toronto area that has incredible meaning to him where his family is from, where I met them, all of it and then his story and his impact and still impacting in the hockey world as a coach with a Calgary Hitman and in the case of Dion, when I think about that trade and I think about Dion I, I'm always a believer in part that one of the reasons and of course the player holds some responsibility is I think when Mike Keenan came to town and got his hands on Dion, I think Mike was trying to turn Dion and there was a lot of the same characteristics into the next Chris Pronger. And I never felt like Dion handled minutes 23 to 27 as well as he handled the first 23. And I didn't think that extra ice time, which, you know, you want a true number one to be, and he was in Calgary. I just never thought of him as being effective after Mike came to town. Because I didn't think he could play as hard or the same way at 27 minutes as he did more in that 22, 23 neighborhood. Yeah. So that's the other part that I reflect on too.
1: Yeah. Interesting to, uh, to look back And 13 years, uh, have passed since that, uh, that massive trade all the way back then that staging and, and, uh, a number of other Leafs joining the, uh, the Calgary flames and Dion Phaneuf who would go on to captain the Leafs for over 400 games on his way to Toronto 13 years ago today, Um, and as we break down another big trade-in Vancouver, all things considered, uh, funny how it works like that. Lou, thanks for the time, as always. Do appreciate it. We'll uh, chat with you again tomorrow, pal. Okay, have a good one. Thanks, everybody. There you go. Pete Labardius, Flames Insider, color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He's brought to you every single day by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations. They should be a part of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca, now offering air miles, reward miles. Uh, time for our regular Tuesday chat with Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650. He's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
0: You're listening to Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
1: I, when I started having these conversations with Big Nazar on a weekly basis, it was, you know, try to find some, some regulars for the show, some voices that I liked, something the listeners would be interested in. I, I didn't honestly expect that it was going to be like this every week because every single week I have no prep to do. I don't have any actual work to do because the stories in Vancouver... They just write themselves. They They really do. And it makes it so much fun... Every time that we get to bring on Bick Nazar down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, who I believe was supposed to take holidays this week, Bick, uh, some superior timing by you there.
2: Yeah, I've got great timing when it comes to uh, Canucks news. Uh, anytime <laughs> I seem to take a holiday, something goes down. This is like the fourth time in the past four years. So, now mind you, you know, something is always happening uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, so yeah. that might not sound as special as it is, but shoot man when we agreed to do this what seven weeks ago eight weeks ago yeah I-, I was like a penny stock and now you're just blossoming right now this is like this is like <laughs> buying apple in the 90s this is this is massive
1: yeah it's worked out pretty well for me i can tell you that much uh it's like wow everyone else is scrambling for a vancouver guest uh Good thing I've got Bic locked in on Tuesdays because this is just perfect. Um, and, and they
2: always seem to wait till Sunday and Monday, too. It's never Wednesday. you are never like, <laughs> oh, we just missed talking to Bic. It's always yeah. like on a Sunday or a Monday.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's worked. it really has worked a while. I'm not even kidding about how it's gone like that. It's just been like, I don't even know. I don't know it's like I have to text Bic a bunch of topics and be like, hey, what do we want to hit on? It's been pretty self-explanatory every single time we've done this, and it continues again today. Uh, the Bo Horvat era is over. Uh, he's been traded to the New York Islanders. Bick, I guess just, you know, some initial reaction, some initial thought now as we're approaching, you know, the 24-hour mark since this deal went down.
2: Yeah, the, the initial thought is, look, they, they finally ended another saga here on top of the Boudreaux saga, and, and now this one's over. Uh, my initial thought of looking at the return I, I thought they did pretty well. I, I happen to like Atu Ratu probably more than consensus. So, you know, that part of it gets me excited. Uh, a first round pick is massive. And especially, it's not just, oh, a generic first round pick. This is a team that's going to the Eastern Conference finals and will be picking in the 26 or 27, uh, late 20s kind of range. It, it's an exciting bet here. There's a a bit of anti Islanders sentiment already coming out uh, for Vancouver fans. They're saying, Hey, like, what if this is pick 13 this year? Or what if it's pick 12 and and they decide to option it back to Vancouver or if it's, you know, they win the lottery and they want to push it over to an unprotected pick next year. uh, Fans get to watch a season's worth of Islanders losses and see if it's a a top five pick or something like that. So it's, it's a shrewd bet uh, by uh, Patrick Alvin to look at this and and take a position against the team and also try to get a bit of a reward as well with Atu Ratu and, and Anthony Bavillier.
1: Is there a sense of disappointment from the greater Vancouver watching the Canucks that, that it came to this with Bo Horvat?
2: I think it depends like where your your situation is, right? I think people are more disappointed that someone like Brock Besser and JT Miller got money in the summer and not Bo Horvat. And it just comes down to player evaluation. Like, there's been a lot of people that have been big fans of Bo Horvat. And, you know, I pushed back on a lot of it. And I said, like, he's not really the two way player he gets made out to be because the defensive numbers don't look fantastic. He wins draws, obviously, but his overall defensive impact isn't really there. But he gets allotted as a matchup player. And a lot of people just, you know, because he wears the C. And because he's been a longtime Vancouver Canuck and obviously in a, a draft pick, top nine pick. And there's this expectation that, you know, Bo Horvat would be a Vancouver Canuck for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And even he, you know, kind of made that sentiment. So I, I think it's been uh, a little bit of shock for some people, but it's also been shock that's been played out for six months, not just yesterday. Like, oh, my God, they moved Bo Horvat, And you look at the team's record, the 2026 20, and 3 it's not exactly it's going well. I think people understood at this stage you are going to have to do some rebuilding. Maybe there's just some some confusion from fans of why it was Horvat and not someone like JT Miller in the summer.
1: You mentioned the the return there. I've I've seen pretty mixed reviews on the return. I'm kind of with you. I think all things considered, the Canucks make out pretty well here. I think Ratu's a guy that you know you've talked about as being. I, I don't know that I'd go as far as Patrick Alvin and saying. We think we got three first-rounders back here. I, I think that's that's a bit of a stretch, but I, at the end of the day, I can't really argue with, you know, and I said this to a, a guest we had on earlier, Bick. I mean, if you're the Canucks and you sit here and you think, wow, we could possibly be picking 6th and, and maybe, I don't know, 15 or something like that. Is that the worst-case scenario for, for where the Canucks could be this summer? I think that's actually a pretty good thing, and then you have – what 60 games. If you include the rest of this year and maybe into next year to see what you have in Bavillier, if he's a piece you want mm-hmm. long-term or if he's a piece that you want to move on from when he's 26, it's, it's really not all bad as far as I'm concerned.
2: No. And, and this is the thing that's kind of exciting too, as you mentioned, those two picks, if it is, you know, six and 13 and seven and 15, whatever, or hey, like what if they win the lottery and get second or first, right? Like, the, the the long-term vision of what this team is supposed to be has left a lot of people kind of confused. And again, let's just say a scenario, it's it's pick six and 15 and you wind up with um, a, a center. Let's say it's like Zach Benson, you know, that seems uh, fishy at six, but nevertheless, it, it's a name that we could put out there or Will Smith. And then you're looking at the a pick in the 15s and it's a defender. Um uh, if it's Axel sandin Pelica. But, like, you start to see the pieces start to form around what the future could be. And I think that's the thing that people have been wondering about, is is when is or are, are all the reinforcements going to arrive in? Because there wasn't enough capital just in the organization uh, to be able to see the idea of a quick fix or uh, an accelerated rebuild for fans. And, you know, I, I know Patrick Alvin has deliberately said it's not a quick fix, but when you're also outlining time, timelines to... To want to be competitive you need to see that second wave of talent coming through and now by bringing in two young players or a young player and a pick uh plus another your own first round pick and as you mentioned like a 60 game audition here for anthony Bouvillier, who i think is kind of a direct comp to someone like connor garland who i think they want more of a shoot first player rather than a pass first winger if you go through the history of you know jim rutherford wingers in pittsburgh and in carolina there's a demand, you know, be fast, be skilled, and and shoot on the wing. Connor Garland tends to play a bit more east-west and want to pass, uh and and takes shots from inopportune areas. So I, I think maybe bovillier fits more of a mold of how they want to play on the wing too.
1: So uh, the big question I have for the Canucks now going forward is is okay? You've started the the quote-unquote major surgery. That's the term that. You know, Jim, or it's not Jim mm-hmm. I was going to say that Jim Rutherford uh, has, you know, talked about. But I'm curious now, obviously, the talent is one thing to lose this year, big. but for me, it's the leadership that I'm curious about. Where do you see that void being filled in right now? Is it as simple to say, look, this is a good opportunity for a Quint Hughes or an Elias Pedersen to, to jump up into that void? Or is there someone else in that mix that you think needs to, to kind of fill what Bo leaves behind as far as leadership goes?
2: I'll say this, too. Like, this is what I've always wanted to see, right? Like, ultimately, the the, the franchise's uh, ceiling was always going to be determined by Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Whether Bo stayed or not, it was always going to be about this. And going back to uh, this, the, the winter of 2021, when Chris Tanev left and Jacob Markstrom left, obviously arriving in Calgary, there was a lot of fans that were very concerned. It's like, okay, where's the talent and all this sort of stuff. And one of the arguments I made is, even though they left and they're they're talented players and you probably would have liked to see the Canucks retain at least TANF to say the least, it does provide space now for Pedersen and Hughes to, they have to grow as leaders. They have to grow because this organization is rooted in their development, both on the ice and also off the ice, how they develop as leaders. And I think Quinn Hughes over the last two years has done a really good job of, of that. Elias Pedersen, maybe more so this year. Um, so this just provides another feeling for them to explore as far as who they are uh in relation to the rest of the organization before Horvat leaves so there's a leadership vacuum last time this happened they kind of stepped up but they need to take another step as well uh mentally and to be prepared for this leadership role because ultimately your, your best players always set the standard uh on the ice and off the ice and now this should be like as soon as Elias Pedersen signs his contract extension, and I think Co- Canucks fans are hoping it would be this summer. And I think Patrick Aldine would love for it to be the summer. That sends a signal of like this is the best player on the team. We've, we're announcing that, and you now play at the standard that he wants to play at. And if you can't keep up, then that's a, a you problem, and we'll, so, we'll we'll sort that out for you. Because I think a few players have come in this year. Ilya McKeon, who obviously news came out this week with the the ACL surgery and he's out for the year like that's someone who's dedicated to the game and I think they're looking for that type of player now
1: is there a sense now of what's left this year for the Vancouver Canucks that's you know Luke Shen obviously comes up as you know one UFA that's potentially out there that could you know be available but nothing else really pressing for this is there any sense from you now Bick, that you know there's another big move in this for the Canucks
2: well, I think there's a, a difference between the demand to want to make a big move and the practicality of making a big move. I, I think if you talk to to Patrick Alveen and Jim Rutherford and, and, and did the truth serum thing, I think they would love to explore a, a Brock Besser deal, a Tyler Myers deal, a Conor Garland deal, this trade deadline. I'm a bit more skeptical that that's something that can happen immediately and, you know, in, in the summer, I can see them solving Brock Besser when people have moved out a little bit of money and there's a bit more leeway across the league. And you're just more likely to find a a robust uh, suitor uh, list than right now where it's you're, you're looking at contenders and you're looking at how much money is actually available on some teams. Come the summer, though, Tyler Myers is owed a $5 million signing bonus. And at that stage, it's $1 million in salary. You retain that, it's half a million for teams across the league with a $3 million cap hit if you retain um, 50%. So that can be an interesting way to go about it. I wonder if there's an Oliver ekman Larson buyout this year, which is a hefty price tag, but it it's, turns out to be $19 million in cash uh, for the rest of the way, but it clears up $7 million in space this upcoming season. So, or sorry, for next season. Uh, so there's there's ways for for them to maneuver. I just wonder about the practicality of some of these moves. The one and I know Elliot was talking about it today that maybe has a bit more realism to it is Thatcher Demko. If 'cause because I cause that one I can see other teams wanting to to check in on mm. as well to say hey like if if this if you guys are rebuilding we have a need for a goalie rather than a middle six struggling winger. If we take a shot on a goalie suddenly. We're, we're we're way more interested because you can get a like he was playing at a Vesna level last year. That that one I can understand why other teams would be interested in.
1: Yeah, the, and it's it's funny you bring up the Demco one because that was kind of my last one, and it's it's weird hearing Elliot talk more and more about it because it feels like not all that long ago. Bick, if you ever mentioned you know Thatcher Demco as a name out there? The Vancouver Canucks would be thinking about moving. You would have been laughed at. Like there, there would have just been pure mockery from somebody on the other side. And now it kind of feels, I don't want to say it feels inevitable, but it feels more possible maybe than I ever thought it would be.
2: Yeah. And I guess it just depends on the timeline of when you want to kind of swing this around too. Right. And if there's an idea that, Hey, in the next two years you can get good um, and you have a goalie department that you really value and you really trust, and there's a long runway of success, is there a way to look at this and say, well, how many assets do we have that are actually coveted by teams? And if there's only a handful and one of them was just Bo Horvat and the other one's Patrick Demko, um, do we try to make a bet on our goalie- goaltending department to be able to always have a floor for us? And is there a track record of success for Ian Clark? There absolutely is. And, and do they look at it and say, we can make this bet because we have this institutional edge that always gives us quality goaltending. If we improve some of the surrounding environment, like the defense, um, they absolutely have to do that. So I'm just curious if, if that's something that they try to explore. Um, and, you know, the Ian Clark's had a lot of success in a lot of different markets here. And I just, I, I know Elliot kind of mentioned Columbus and, you know, my, my ears kind of perked up for that because obviously Ian Clark worked there as well. And there's history with a couple of guys, in Columbus, that he brought on, and if you're just looking for like baseline of goaltending under the tutelage of Ian Clark, like that's something you could kind of explore as well.
1: Big Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 out in Vancouver. A regular Tuesday chat with Bick, of course, uh, lots of conversation around the Bull Horvat trade that goes down yesterday with uh, Vancouver and the New York Islanders, but also wanted to chat some NFL with you, Bick. The uh, Super Bowl matchup is set. The two number one seeds uh, from the NFC and the AFC will meet up, and it's Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts. It was uh, At least one game was pretty entertaining on the weekend, one not so much, but I can't imagine you were uh, feeling too sorry for the San Francisco 49ers uh, getting beat up by the Eagles.
2: No, not at all, and here's the thing. I I don't have one just like, oh, you know, too bad, two injuries, but when you repeatedly have a tight end blocking good pass rushers, what, like, what did Kyle Shanahan think was going to happen? So, like, this isn't some freak play where a guy comes through the middle and just, like, lands on the guy. and It's like, oh, he's out. You had warning signs that this was going to be a problem, and you continued to put a tight end out there. You welcomed this, and so I have less sympathy for the 49ers because I think Kyle Shanahan made a huge mistake. It was a bad game plan to begin with, didn't adjust fast enough and you kind of reap what you sow in this scenario. So I have less sympathy, not even just because, you know, Seahawks-49ers rivalry, just you can correct that. You can have better game plans, and you left a very good pass rusher to take free shots at the quarterback. You invited the, the, the injuries to some degree. Uh, and I, I honestly, like I talked about it on my show the week leading up to it, I think the 49ers coming in this were probably a better team than the Eagles, but I think the Eagles matched up perfectly well with the 49ers that if you just did the Madden ratings and said like, Oh, the 49ers are 98 and Eagles are 96. But then you actually looked at the matchups. I just thought they, for the Eagles point of view, it just merged perfectly. And I'm not surprised to see them going to 31 31, seven win Uh, on the flip side, though, the Chiefs and Bengals, that was a fantastic game, kind of marred by officiating, not just the end of game call, but there was a couple of questionable calls throughout that entire game. Mm -hmm. But Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes on a, on one leg and 300 plus yards, two touchdowns. That guy is uh, special. And, and I, I wonder if we're getting into the next phase of his career where everything just becomes more efficient and more explosive, even uh, from what we've seen already in his career.
1: Which Kelsey brother do you like better? Travis or Jason? I think Jason, right? Like I think Travis so is the one
2: that did like, like the reality show. What was it? Catching Kelsey or whatever. Yeah. And, He's a bit more showy, and you know, I, I didn't even like at the end of the game. He, you know, Mahomes is on the mic, and Kelsey's coming around like yelling. and It's like, all right, calm down. Like someone else was doing the interview. I, Jason Kelsey, had the the epic uh, Super Bowl parade speech as well. Yeah. Uh, and plus plus, let's give offensive linemen the love, right? Like, they're, they're always <laughs> overlooked.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite heading into uh, the twelfth? There, I know we're a couple weeks out yet, but if you had to. uh, you are forced to pick today. Where would you lean, uh, Chiefs or Eagles?
2: I'm uh, probably leaning Eagles, but uh, – or sorry, Chiefs. But uh, ask me again in a week, and I'll, I'll, I'll have an, a better idea. Um, I just – Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes, and I like Jalen Hurts, but it feels like he's had about as easy a path to get here uh, this season, not just because of the strength of the team, but um, – you know, the, the, the teams they played this year, there was the, the Texans who were in there. They played the Steelers early on in the season. The Vikings are in there. Jaguars early in the season. Cardinals are in there. Colts are in there. Um, and then even in the postseason here, it's uh, the Giants were kind of fraudulent and the 49ers in, in the state that they were in, obviously. So I, I just look into Patrick Mahomes' aura right now, and I think it's hard pressed to to overcome that.
1: I'm curious, and I don't even really know how to react to this because it was sort of an outside thing. You know, you're kind of scrolling through Twitter and you you see something that comes up and you go, I didn't really thought about it from that. The most recent one that I saw was somebody, and I can't remember who tweeted it out. I'll have to find it and I'll send it to you, Bick. But it was somebody had tweeted out and wondered, if the Chiefs lose this Super Bowl to the Eagles, are we talking about Patrick Mahomes as a, a great quarterback that, could constantly get his team there, but rarely finish? Or are we still well past any of that and still looking at it as, hey, this guy just consistently gets his team either to the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, and we'll look at the results when it's all said and done?
2: No, I, I think this guy is a freak of nature. Like, I, I think this is like Steph Curry in the NFL. I know that Thompson made a lot, but... I don't think there's going to be a lot of scenarios where Patrick Mahomes gets to the finish line and doesn't cross it first. Uh, the, the the time they lose to the, the Buccaneers, the offensive line is all beat up. It, it was almost similar to like the Broncos playing the Seahawks mm-hmm. where yeah, you had this great offense, but the, the Broncos were so banged up even coming into that game that the Seahawks just feasted on a bad offensive line and away they went. I look at that Chiefs-Buccaneers game. It's very similar. You rebound, you get to this stage, they got a healthy offensive line now. Patrick Mahomes isn't entirely healthy, but if they're running at full at all cylinders, uh, I I'm I finding difficult a lot of teams going to be able to keep up to Uh,
1: How many minutes on the over under will you be spending watching the revamped Pro Bowl games this weekend? I'm hyped, man. Are they're, you?
2: Th- they're trying something different. Okay. I'd, I'd love for I'd love for the NHL to do this as well and just say, you know, the game like. How many people are tuning into the game? Let's just come up with mini games and we'll do it for a day. I think that's awesome. Like it, I, I'm here for kick, tack toe or whatever it was called. I, <laughs> I'm going to be locked in all
0: weekend.
1: Yeah. See, I'm, I'm so checked out on anything like all-star and pro bowl, especially the pro bowl, sure. which has kind yeah. of been, you know, like the, the worst of the worst for so many years that uh, <laughs> maybe I'm just jaded on it. And, and maybe I will have to spend some time watching it, but I was surprised by the answer. I think I, I just don't know how to feel about any of it because I've been led down this road so many times of, I, I just don't, I just don't care enough to watch, but maybe, maybe this year will be different. Cause I know what they're doing. Best catch. Uh, you're yeah. right. Kick, kick, tack toe and a bunch of other interesting things. I guess uh, I guess it might be worth a little bit of watch. What else am I going to be doing? 100%.
2: And, and I feel like the NHL needs to expand the categories of their events too. Like I, like, would you watch a face off? like bracket who's the best face-off guy in, in the league. That's an interesting one. Well, I might do that. Yeah. Right. Or like like fastest, three out of fastest five fastest face-offs or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like rock, paper, scissors, something like that for, for <laughs> face-offs. And we can come up with new events. Absolutely. Like, but, like hardest hitter. Just, just set up like one of those sports science. dummies <laughs> and whoever generates the most force, go at it. Like, I think that's great.
1: Yeah. Bring sports science in for, uh, for All-Star Weekend, and we'll get Lou Cheech to, to go there and take a 60-foot run, and we'll see who can who can accurately and with the most force uh, plow through a, a, a dummy there, and sports science can give us the numbers. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's actually some fun things. Maybe we'll have to reconsider some of my, my thoughts on this, Bick.
2: There we go, man. Check out All-Star Weekend this weekend.
1: <laughs> uh, you're the best, Bick. Uh, enjoy some time off, pal, even though I know it, it hasn't been as much time off as you'd you'd like away from your phone. But I always appreciate it, man. Take care, hey? Talk soon. See ya. Big Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, coming at you down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Yes, uh, Canucks and Islanders trade the uh, news around the NHL world today. There are three other games uh, on the schedule tonight as the uh, NHL All-Star break for the league doesn't officially kick in until Thursday. Flames have been uh, lucky after having the minimal – Three days off for Christmas break. They've got an extended all-star break uh, that started last Friday. Uh, Most NHL teams still have uh, a little bit of work to do before they get there and before they get to the events in Florida this weekend. We'll take a break come back on the other side. Hour 2 is coming up next right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.